for the lady. Good Sunday morning, everybody, and welcome to the Total Bases Podcast. And um, I am here as always. Oh, I am Austin Spiro. I'm your host. And I am here as always with Felipe Melicio. Felipe, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the intro there, Austin. As, uh, uh, as you could hear, my voice is still not 100%. Um, I am recovering from COVID. Uh, my whole family is recovering from COVID. Nothing too serious as of right now, but uh, it does uh, make me uh, sound like this. So I do apologize for the bad audio, but uh, we'll manage through this. Uh, but we had to get back to it because uh, we already skipped the week trying to see if I will recover. Last week was worse, by the way. Last week was absolutely worse. There was no chance in hell was it going to be able to do the show. So I do thank you guys for being patient and waiting another week to do this Hall of Fame show, which we're going to talk about. And before we get started, uh, let's go and uh, introduce the third person on the panel, Mr. Dan Butler. Dan, how are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing outstanding. All right, man. Great to hear. Great to hear. Uh, for those who don't know, Dan uh, has, is basically our Hall of Fame person. Uh, he Every time I want to talk about the Hall of Fame, he's been nice enough to... Uh, Join us. He did the, what do we do? The uh, golden era and the early days committees. Is that what we did last year? Yeah, we did that. Well, we just did that one a couple months ago. Well, uh, yeah, last year, a couple yeah. months ago. And then uh, we throw the ballot out there um, for the group to use. And we did get a few more <laughs> votes this year. Not saying much. I think we got 45 last year. We got, I think, 62 this year. Um, hey, man, progress is progress. All right. It, it, it's going to yeah. make headwind one of these days. But uh, yeah, he's talking about the Baseball Life Hall of Fame. Uh, we are at the Baseball Life Facebook group. Come join us. Keep the conversation going there. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about that in just a bit about if we had any inductees into the Baseball Life Hall of Fame last year. Our only Baseball Life Hall of Famer was Kurt Schilling. Uh, but uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was Dan. Also, we did this uh, show with where we discussed the Baseball uh, Writers Association of America mm -hmm. ballot as well last year. So uh, if you want to hear what that show sounded like, go visit that episode, check it out on Spotify, just to look up Total Bases Hall of Fame, and you should be able to find it. And consider this the sequel to that episode, part two. So it's like kind of like WrestleMania, right, uh, Dan? WrestleMania yeah. 1 yeah. is it, just uh, building up for WrestleMania 2 and 3 and 4 Absolutely. and so on and so forth. So yeah. there we go. It's right. a little more successful. Yeah, just a little bit, you know, uh, the, the colossal tussle. Absolutely. All right. So, okay. So I see on the show notes that we're going to have to share a, a, what do you call it? A spreadsheet. So I will share the spreadsheet. Nothing to, uh, we're not going to break down too much because we, first and foremost, Dan and I did that last year. So we're not going to do it again this year. Uh, Austin may not have seen the spreadsheet before, so it's going to be a crash course for him. And <clears throat> speaking of Austin, he has a podcast called the Round Trippers Podcast, where he already broke down the Hall of Famers on his show. So uh, we want to focus on the first timers on the ballot. But uh, Austin has already done that on his show, but we're going to do it by the numbers here. As you guys can see, it's a very colorful spreadsheet. There's Omar Vizquel, who's a return, uh, a returned uh, participant into the baseball ballot uh, for the Hall of Fame. So we're not going to talk too much about him, except for the fact that he has a very good defensive uh, metric right there at 262.1. Two There's a defensive, uh, for lack of a better term, I, I think it's a defensive runs above average, but it's also known as more popularly known as defensive war. But uh, yeah, Omar Vizquel, among one of the best uh, at his position. We're not going to talk about him too much, but let's focus on A.J. Przinski, who is a first-timer. As you can see, he's highlighted there in blue. He's a first-time Hall of Famer. 
in, in this ballot. Let's start with Austin. Um, you mentioned him on your podcast, but is there anything else you wanted to add about AJ Persinski's chances of making it to the Hall of Fame this year? Uh, there isn't there isn't much else I think I want to talk about besides um, what I talked about him already on the on the Round Trippers podcast. Um, I think I'll just say I don't think he really has that much of a chance. Um, not only do his numbers really not support, um, you know, him making it into the Hall of Fame. I think I think if I remember correctly, he had kind of a reputation of not being a very likable person. Oh, he was very uh, well, very hated. Was he liked? Everybody. I couldn't. I no, couldn't remember. No, whether he wasn't. Was, he wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah, that's what I thought. He was not a very likable person. So um, I think that will also hurt his chances of making the ballot, even staying on the ballot this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he dipped below the 5% and, and dropped off the ballot this year. Yeah, he was notorious for hazing uh, young teammates and just being an uh, overall jerk. Fans love him. White Sox fans absolutely love him. Giant fans, I believe, loved him a lot too, and maybe even some Twins fans. But the fans love him, but... Every story I hear about AJ Persinski is always a story about that's not uh, doesn't shed a, a very pleasant light on the guy. Um, so it's one of those, you know, when he's playing, he's a guy you want to have on your team. I mean, as you can see from his defensive metric here at the 88.0 um, respectable defensive uh, catcher. But from the sea of blue, by the way, to read this uh, spreadsheet, if you see blue, that's bad. If it's red, it's very, very good. So it's kind of on the, uh, what do you call it? The color scale, right? So Roy G. Biv, red is good. Orange is good. Uh, yellow is mid-tier. Green is below subpar. And then blue is just absolutely awful. Uh, for those who are doing audio only, I will be uploading this episode to our YouTube page. And I'll provide a link so you guys can see the fancy spreadsheet. By the way, oh, I am so sorry. Uh, let's make this a little bit bigger for the rest of the class there. I do apologize for that. So anyway, that's AJ Przinsky. As you guys can see, not a lot of impressive uh, numbers. And the one saving grace was the defense, and the defense isn't going to uh, cut it for him. Let's move on to Jimmy Rollins, who uh, <clears throat> is a very popular guy for the Phillies. Uh, leadoff hitter, as you can see, uh, the triples. I mean, elite status there. Very fast guy. A lot of uh, orange that you see on his numbers there. So, I mean, the 470 stolen bases. Dan Butler, do you think – speed alone will be able to carry Jimmy Rollins into the hall of fame. Absolutely not. <laughs> that was, that um, was and, and the reason, and the reason I say that is, you know, we've, I think we've kind of gotten into a, uh, I think the way a lot of people are looking at hall of fame stuff now is, you know, the, the transitive, right. If a got in and B got in, then C has to get in. Right. Maury Wills is not in. So why should Jimmy Rollins be in? I mean, that, that's kind of how I look at it is if we're using just really one metric, mm -hmm. um, then we got to get Murray Wills in there first. Yeah. And that was an argument that we had on our previous podcast uh, when we did the uh, golden days uh, era. Uh, Austin, do you have anything else to add about Jimmy Rollins? Uh, so I love Jimmy Rollins. I loved watching him play. Um, I thought he was great. He, even though he was a Philly and I'm an Angels fan, I loved watching Jimmy Rollins. Um, he was a really good leadoff hitter. Very important part of that Phillies team for a long time. Um, but he falls just short for me when it comes to the Hall of Fame. And that's because of some of the research that I did. So I went and I um, found an article in Fangraphs, which I'm probably never going to find ever again because right. – of that cavernous pit of articles they got there. <laughs> but, um, there was a, uh, 
there was an article in there that talked about what does the average Hall of Famer look like statistically, right? And yeah. so um, it talked about a bunch of different stats, and I took a handful of what I thought was important, and then um, I also added a little bit of the all warps um, number from uh, Jonathan uh, from Jonathan who we talked who we talked with what two weeks ago. Yeah, um, and so. I looked at years played because I, I feel longevity is important for a Hall of Fame career. If you don't play long enough, then you better be really, really dominant for me to consider you into the Hall of Fame. Um, war, OPS plus, weighted runs, creative plus, and all warps. So for years played, the average Hall of Famer plays um, 18 years in the big leagues. Oh, wow. um, they, they have an average war of 60. Um, they have an average OPS plus of 128. A weighted one, ones created plus of 127. And then for all warps plus Hall of Fame is considered anywhere from 100 to 120. Ron, um, uh, Jimmy Rollins does not have any of that. He's He played 17 years in the big leagues, which is one short, so I'm not going to hold him against that. But oh, wow. what, what really does get me is 17 years in the big leagues and he accrued 47.6 war. That's mm. way below that. Um, he actually has a below league average OPS plus for his career at 95 and a below average or a below league average weighted runs created plus at 95 and his all warps plus is 91.6. So all things considered, he's nowhere near an average hall of famer. I love Jimmy Rollins, but speed doesn't get him in. And uh, Dan, I, I didn't get your thoughts on AJ Prusinski. Did you need, did you have anything else to add about AJ? No, it, it, no. I mean, I, I think he's got absolutely no chance, but, but to kind of piggyback on Austin's comment, you know, he loves Jimmy Rollins and anybody who watches baseball and watched him ever play. And, and there's a lot of guys like him. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of guys on this list who you could say the same thing about. I loved fill in the blank. And I think sometimes as fans, and we all know, cause we talk about it all the time as fans is short for fanatics. And I think we let our, our love for a guy on our team kind of cloud our judgment as to if he's a hall of famer um, just because we love Jimmy Rollins and we've been Phillies fans for 25 years. Does that mean he's a hall of famer? Um, does that mean Mark Grace is a hall of famer because I'm a Cub fan and we loved him when he played for the Cubs? Well, no, it doesn't. Uh, so I think sometimes as fans anyway, I think that sort of clouds some judgment. So it was nice. To, I, I like the numbers that Austin threw out there with regard to what an average hall of famer is. Uh, and what they look like, and that Jimmy Rollins really wasn't that close. Well, uh, over at Baseball Reference, yeah, uh, a lot of the uh, the metrics that they use for to see if a player is a Hall of Famer or not, he does fall short, even among shortstops. But then you look at the similarity scores of all the players that he would have uh, been uh, closely resembling in terms of statistics. You got Barry Larkin, Alan Trammell, Roberto Alomar, Ryan Sandberg, uh, Joe Morgan, Ray, uh, so all those players I just mentioned, those are all Hall of Famers. So maybe there is that case for Jimmy Rollins. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, yeah, there's really not much outside of speed. And there's a lot of guys who were very fast throughout their careers. The one thing you could say about it is that for a very short period of time, he was a very uh, elite player, winning MVP in 2007. But it's very doubtful that that would be enough to get him in uh, into Cooperstown. I mean, look, uh, he, go ahead. I think he's a guy that help, he's a guy that helps you win, but he's not a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's a guy that everybody wants on their team. Outside of the Hall of Fame side, he's like I think going back to AJ Przinsky though. You mentioned um, you know he wasn't really that well liked, but I think he was like Dennis Rodman. You hate him when he's on the other team, but you cannot wait for him to get on your team. Well, it depends who you ask, because even teammates didn't like him. So he's well, uh, but, but fans loved him. The fans right. loved him. 
Uh, all right. You know what? I, I, I feel I didn't have this uh, by war, so I do apologize. So we'll start with Ryan Howard now at the bottom here, the worst player uh, of the Hall of Fame uh, on the Hall of Fame ballot. Power numbers were not even elite. Like, you know what, Dan? We saw Dick Allen and we saw like all of his metrics were very elite. I mean, he's there up there with Hank Aaron, yeah, Willie Mays during absolutely. that era. And then Ryan Howard, whose one thing was that he was a very uh, powerful hitter from the left side. As you can see, 382 home runs is just barely above average. Um, strikeouts were very high, although he did play in an era where strikeouts were very high, 28.2% there. Uh, but yeah, not nothing else to brag about. And of course, he's a first baseman, so he gets penalized. Uh, is there anything else you want to make a case for for Ryan Howard for Hall of Fame here? No, that yeah, is... I don't really think there is a case. Austin, any any uh, same question? I guess to you. I think Ryan Howard falls off the ballot. I think he only had one or two good seasons, and then that was it. And everybody caught the wave of Ryan Howard having a few good seasons, and then that's it. Um, I think Ryan Howard falls off the ballot. Ryan Howard with a WRC plus of 121. I think uh, Austin mentioned that 120 was the limit, uh, was the bare minimum. And even then, as you can see, it's 27. Oh, once. Oh, so he's fall, he doesn't even, wow. He falls way short, which would explain why. Oh, I thought 121 is colored in a little bit of a orange yellowish hue there. So let's move on to Justin Morneau. Justin Morneau did win an MVP back in 2006. Uh, uh, and then was uh, he tied for second in 2008. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, made some a few All Star appearances and concussions kind of derailed his career. But let's take a quick look at the metrics here uh, on the spreadsheet. A lot of blue, even the home runs, which was again his calling card. Uh, not elite status. The RBIs aren't there. Nothing to brag about here with Justin Morneau. Uh, he is Canadian, so maybe he makes Canada's Hall of Fame. I don't know, Austin. What do you think? Um. He's got a good shot for Canada's Hall of Fame, but he ain't getting in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, again, he falls short in every category that I looked at for the average Hall of Famer. He played 14 years in the big leagues, average is 18. He only accrued a 27 war. That is way short. The uh, There are only, looks like, three players on the ballot that have a less war than, <coughs> excuse me, than Justin Morneau. That's Prince Fielder, Ryan Howard, and AJ Prince and AJ Pierzinski. <laughs> so, and then um, he has a 120 OPS plus, which the average is 128. He's got a one uh, 116 weighted runs created plus. There, yeah. 127 <clears throat> is the average, and then he's and then his all warps number is 62.2, which is well short of even the hundred mark. And even then, the hundred is like. He, he he'll probably get it in but it's not a guarantee so he falls short for me i don't think he's getting in uh, uh dan anything else you need to add there no again i mean that was a good player that was a good hitter uh but not even i don't think he's i don't even think he should warrant any consideration to be quite frank all right well that was it so so far it's uh it's a big thumbs down for all the players that we've mentioned in blue Let's move on then as we get a little bit higher. The war gets up there a little bit. By the way, uh, the minimum was 6,000 plate appearances, and you had to have a 19.0 war to make it on this list and make it on this show. Speaking of Prince Fielder, there he is. So a lot of first basemen here, a lot of first-time first basemen, a lot of uh, big names with big bats. But in the grand scheme of things, once again, uh, Prince Fielder, even the power hitting that he was supposed to um, – 
kind of make a name, uh, help him make a name for himself. It's not there. Only uh, 319 home runs, which as you can see, you can see from the orange hue, it's barely above average for his, for since the 1980 um, season. So yeah, it's a uh, 1980 to the present time. So what is that? About 41 seasons. That's a. You, would you guys agree that's a decent sample size for these players? Right. I think so. I think so. I think so. Okay then. Uh, decent play discipline, but again, uh, play discipline alone doesn't get you into the Hall of Fame. ISO, isolated power. I mean, he was a big bat, power hitting, big guy, uh, slightly above average. I mean, even the, the triple slash line are slightly above average. Very good hitter, but I don't know. I mean, there's a WRC plus there, Austin, at over 133. So maybe that's a saving grace. But Dan, let's start with you. Is this going to be enough to get him into the Hall of Fame? No, and I, I think the thing that's probably going to keep him out is his. Uh, he had to he had to retire early because of that neck issue. You know, had this guy played another four, five, six years, if he if he could have stayed healthy, which he was pretty durable, uh, you might be looking at a guy with five hundred homers. Mm, yeah. um, I think you're going to be looking at a guy who I believe if he plays another four or five years, I think you're talking about a guy who is most definitely in the conversation. It isn't as easy to knock off the fence to the no side. I think there, there'd be a lot of arguments either way. Uh, but as it stands now, unfortunately, now I think his career, you know, again, based on one of the metrics um, um, Austin brought up was, you know, the guy played, what, eight, nine years? So he played about half of well, what the average Hall of Famer is. Well, he played – 1600 games barely um so that that's definitely gonna hurt him i mean he's if you don't play you don't you don't you know you can't accumulate and you can't pad those stats i mean you see adam dunn here uh he played 2000 games he was he was able to get to 462 home runs so uh not a math whiz here but i can probably do a quick uh a quick uh cross multiplication thing well austin's a math guy maybe he could do it but i don't know does uh if, if prince fielder were to play 2000 games like adam dunn austin do you think he would have gotten to at least to 460 home runs like Adam Dunn did, or maybe more, maybe less. What do you think? I think he would have gotten to 462 or more. Um, I'm right there with Dan. I think the uh, I think the reason why Prince Fielder doesn't make it is because he didn't play long enough. And it's a shame because I think if he had a, a you know a regular long career like he should have had because he was a good player, he would have been in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think it would have been really, really hard to leave Prince Fielder out with the power that he had with his feared of a hitter that he was, it, it would have been really, really hard for, um, for us not to consider Prince Fielder for the hall of fame, but injuries happen. You know, that's, that's what it is. And it's a sad case for Prince Fielder, but I don't think he, I don't think he played long enough and accrued enough in his career to uh, make the hall of fame. All right. Well, I tried doing some uh, cross multiplication on the other screen. It, I don't think this is the way you do it. So I am not going to share that. But uh, yeah, we'll never know. It's it's uh, it's definitely a what could have been, what might have been for Prince Fielder. Uh, and as you can see, uh, Jet is on the chat. He's a big Milwaukee Brewers fan. Sorry, Jet. I try to make a case, but these guys just won't budge. Speaking of former Brewers players, J.J. Hardy's on this list. J.J. Uh, Hardy has a higher war, it looks like, than Prince Fielder. Let me double check that. Barely by uh, by a tenth, he beats out his ex teammate by a tenth of a of a wins above replacement. There, uh, former Brewer Greg Vaughn is also on the list at twenty five point five. Yeah, so yeah, these are um, you could say that these are the very good Hall of the very good, but not the Hall of Fame. How many home runs did Prince Fielder have? 
319. Are you doing the math there, the gory math? Okay. I'm trying anyway. Yeah. All right, let's move on then while he does that. I mean, Austin is a math whiz. So, hey, there's our guy, Bobby Bonilla, still getting paid after all these years. Good for him. Not making it to the Hall of Fame anytime soon. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, – it's some names from our youth or from our yesteryears, but not nothing to brag about. There's Carl Crawford, first timer. Again, speed, elite, uh, triples, not much of else. Uh, not even the stolen bases are enough to uh, warrant any um, consideration as he was barely above average. Uh, nothing else. I mean, a lot, lot of green. Very There's a lot of green there. Again, green is not good. Orange is good. The base running metric is uh, speaks highly of him, but again, at a 41 and a half wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs, Dan Butler, is that going to be enough to put him in the Hall of Fame? No, and again, this is a guy that, uh, you know, injuries kind of derailed him. Um, but I don't think I, I, everything you said, I agree with. I mean, he's got a couple decent metrics in there, but overall, is that a Hall of Fame career? No, it's a really good career, um, but it's not a Hall of Fame career. Uh, Jet again. He he's uh, listening. His ears are burning. He says it was never going to happen about Prince Fielder. I'm not like those Bron cultists. The Ryan Bron. I didn't realize there were Ryan Bron cultists up in Milwaukee that think every Milwaukee player is a Hall of Famer. And I have to re- I have to ask: Is Prince Fielder of Milwaukee Brewers Hall of Famer? Is that, I mean, are his numbers good enough to put him in whatever Walk of Fame or? Uh, many Hall of Fame they got up in Milwaukee, like every team seems to have. So that's a question for Jets. Hopefully he can answer it. Um, Austin, anything else you want to add about uh, about uh, Carl Crawford here? Um, God, excuse me. Sorry, I've I've had COVID too, and for whatever reason, that cough won't go away. Well, that's um, good to know. <laughs> yeah. So um, for Carl Crawford, I think if I think he's in the same boat as Jimmy Rollins. The only thing he has going for him is his speed. And even then, I think if I remember correctly, that died off after a while. Um, I don't think Carl Crawford has much when it comes to um, a a hall of fame pedigree. Um, Not only does he not have the stats, he's below average in every field. Um, He, I believe was part of that Red Sox debacle that got them all traded to the Dodgers and then he went to the Dodgers and didn't do very well there either, if I remember correctly. So, you know, there's just – there's too many negative things for me, narratively, that stick out for Carl Crawford. Even if he had the stats, I would be kind of uh, iffy to put him in the Hall of Fame, but his stats really cemented in. He didn't play uh, – according to the av- the averages – he didn't play a long enough career. His war is way down there. He's barely above league average in OPS and weighted runs created plus. Um, yeah, I wouldn't put Carl Crawford in the Hall of Fame. I am shocked that Carl Crawford made it over 40 wins above replacement according to the Fangraphs calculation. So that's uh, positive on his part. But, yeah, there's just not enough here. Uh, we move on to Omar Vizquel. We're not going to we'll, we'll – po- I'll point out that Omar Vizquel – uh, is up on this list at 42 and a half. Uh, is it 42 and a half? Yeah, 42 and a half wins above replacement. Tory Hunter, uh, he returns to the ballot at 43 war, uh, more of a defensive person than, uh, you know, n- no more for his glove than, than his bad, as I, I want to say. But we're not focusing on those guys in yellow. We're focusing on those first-timers in blue. And yet another first baseman, Mark Teixeira, former 
seems like he played for he seems like he played for every team because he was always traded at the deadline. Yankees, Braves, Angels, Rangers. Uh, am I missing anybody? I can't think of anybody. Who was it? it? That's it. Okay, I mean, see, oh, golly, but yeah, uh, again, very good hitter, switch hitting, uh, first baseman, very talented, but the numbers just don't add up. Maybe some respectable home run power uh, numbers there, RBI totals there. Uh, very good play discipline considering the time that he played in. Actually, not really. Uh, he's yellow in terms of walks per strikeout ratio. So he's mid-level there. But, I mean, he was known for his power, and he definitely did supply power. Slugging percentage of career, 509, just slightly uh, below Ellis Brooks' 510. That's listed there, as you guys can see. Uh, the ops is a little bit underwhelming, though. I mean, it's still above, slightly above average. But at 869, uh you kind of wanted to see a little bit higher uh 127 wrc plus so just barely above average there as you can see from the color scheme there um and then the war 44.7 that's kind of mid-tier level there but for a first baseman that's uh, a lot higher than expected definitely a lot higher than some of his um his uh, peers in terms of uh, guys like prince fielder and uh who's the other first baseman we talked about i already forgot um uh, Ryan Howard. Ryan Howard. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Much higher than those guys. Much higher than Howard. But Dan Butler, with all that said, is that enough to put Mark Teixeira over the top here? No, I, I think he's actually um, probably further away than Prince Fielder. Had again, extrapolating out Prince Fielder's career, um, but I, I don't think again Teixeira's a good player, <clears throat> but one of the best ever to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think so. And, and again, I think your numbers back that up outside of the power numbers. Well, and I realize some of these guys get in based on one or two or three metrics because they're so far above everything else. I just don't know. He was quite that far above everything else when it came to his power. Yeah. All right. Well, Kirby Puckett's in there. Kirby Puckett uh, with a 44.9 war. He was able to get into the Hall of Fame, although that was more narrative based than anything. But as you guys can see from the numbers, nothing to brag about him or Mark Teixeira. So, again, not to not to justify voting for Mark Teixeira, but it's just kind of weird that, uh, you know, Ellis Burks, Matt Williams, and Kirby Puckett all all on the same pocket, but Puckett's the only one in the Hall of Fame, and all the other guys are probably going to be uh, on the outside looking in. I uh, just wanted to shout out uh, Jet, saying that he definitely, Prince Fielder definitely does belong in the Milwaukee Brewers Hall of Fame, but not the actual National Baseball Hall of Fame. Give a shout out to Bob, uh, Mel, Mel, Melvin, Larry, Leon, all listening, tuning in this Sunday morning. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, hopefully we can uh, give you guys the baseball fix that you need as we continue with these labor negotiations that seem to be going nowhere at the moment. As uh, both uh, Austin, as you remember from the show from last time, uh, seems like both um, players and owners are kind of playing patty kick with each other at the moment. So Leon just had a birthday yesterday. So happy birthday, Leon. Oh, happy, happy birthday, birthday, Leon. Leon. Yeah, go check out his podcast, the Step Back Basketball Podcast over at the Basketball Life Group as well. All right, we just talked about Jimmy Rollins. He's the speed guy. David Ortiz is the other, on the opposite side of the spectrum. He's the power guy. Uh, let's see. Now, first baseman designated hitters get um, they get punished with these war metrics. But if you look at this counting stats, at the very least, he was a doubles machine playing in Fenway. would do that for you. The power is there at 541 home runs. That's uh, near elite status. The RBI People are going to love that at 1,700 RBI. That's near elite status. But there's also a lot of green here. Uh, the strikeout rate, for some reason, is green. I don't know why. But uh, I guess uh, even the, that's still high 
too high even among this in this era of baseball from 1980 to 2021. But uh, there's really, I mean, you can't fault the guy for the triple slash line. The 286 batting average is pretty low. The 380 on base percentage, the 552 slugging percentage, that's pretty impressive. Uh, where's his WRC plus at 140? So that kind of uh, meets that standard. So the guy's an offensive juggernaut, but where he gets penalized is his lack of defense and lack of base running skills. He is the first player on this list, Austin, over 50 war, according to uh, Fangraph's calculation. Is his bat alone good enough to put him in the Hall of Fame? We talking about <laughs> which one are we talking about? David Ortiz now. David Ortiz. Um, <laughs> it this this brings in another form of discussion when it comes to David Ortiz, um, and I think it depends on your opinion. I don't have David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame. You okay. pop hot, you don't get in the Hall of Fame. Sorry, you you get you test positive for steroids. Sorry, you don't get in the Hall of Fame. You you threw that out the window. You decided to pick numbers and, you know, have a good career over the integrity of the game. That's my opinion. I know Dan has a different opinion. He's ready and raring to uh, uh, defend the steroid users. And I, I can't wait to hear his, his response, but um, yeah, I don't have David Ortiz in the hall of fame. You, you, you pop hot for steroids. I, I don't put you in the hall of fame. That's my that's my opinion. Hey man, I, like I always tell people, everybody cheats in this game. All right, uh, Dan, David Ortiz, I think you have him on your list. Is that yes, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, and, and you know it's interesting, you know, and, and you know Austin, yeah, he did it, it, well. So I, I was reading up, up on this this week and, and looking about all these guys that are suspected mm-hmm. of steroid use, and and that New York Times article that came out several years ago with regard to guys who tested positive back in 03. But when I looked at and read an article out of the New York Post and a couple other spots, those guys, that first of all, they were all volunteered. They all volunteered to be tested. Uh, and it was more of a screening to see how bad the issue was in the big leagues with the guarantee that they would remain anonymous. All of right. that said, that doesn't necessarily make it okay. But, and I'm not necessarily absolving the use of it, but there weren't rules against it. PEDs were outlawed in the big leagues, but there was no testing mechanism in place. So these guys were, were tested as part of a, let's see how bad things are. So did they break the rules? Not really, because there wasn't a rule against using PEDs in the big leagues at that point. Right. So, I mean, I know that's probably splitting hairs, but that's, that's kind of where I stand on that is, is the, the only test that I can find that he, uh, did not pass was that screening test back in 2003 because in 2004 is when um, the the PED um, rules came into place and we started seeing some some penalties assessed for that. I could have sworn so that he got caught that's again. That's kind of my take uh, on that. I could have sworn he got caught again later in, in his career, but I can't remember. Everything's hazy. Um, I just know that the difference between Minnesota Twins, David Ortiz, is big compared to what happened in Boston. Excuse me. Now you, you can say that, you know, uh, Boston's a, a, a much friendlier hitters ballpark, especially for a big left-hander like him. Um, and he helped break the curse, the so-called curse that the Red Sox had. Um, at least that's the excuse they use for mismanaging a ball club for over a hundred years. That's their excuse, but he helped break that along with 
Kurt Schilling, which we'll, we'll be talking about in just a bit. But uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of uh, questions. I mean, it seems like we're penalizing the guy for getting caught because there's plenty of guys who are already in the Hall of Fame who never got caught, but there was always whispers about them. Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, ah, excuse me, it's COVID, man. It's, it's a nasty, nasty habit. But yeah, like I said, there's already guys in the Hall of Fame who did cheat and got away with it. Mike Piazza, oh, Mike Piazza, I remember him and getting you know, accused. He's in the Hall of Fame. Felipe, that's, you know, Felipe, that's, and I don't mean to interrupt, but that's one thing that was in this article that since there was not a hard and fast policy on steroid use and PEDs before really 2004, outside of the fact that they were quote unquote illegal in the big leagues, there was no testing, no penalties. There are a lot of guys who succeeded, and like you said, who got into the Hall of Fame. And it, it, it gave guys the freedom to use them without the fear of being caught because there was absolutely no testing. Again, doesn't necessarily justify it, but I think it kind of backs up what you're saying is I'm not a guy that says everybody was doing it, but I'm sure there were plenty that were. doesn't make it right, but it really wasn't necessarily illegal at that time. I mean, and that's, and that's another, it's this issue, legal versus legal, right? And it, it's, uh, I mean, just because it's not illegal in baseball doesn't make it immoral. And it was definitely illegal in the United States of America. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to use PEDs for cosmetic use. PEDs are uh, the steroids and the uh, human growth hormones are used for very serious uh, medical conditions. One of them is not to keep you in Major League Baseball so you could keep making money and get the glory and the fame that you're looking for. That is not, that's what we would refer to as off-label use. And there's a reason why these guys go to Mexico and are able to get some of these medications and they have to go through these back channels to get it because if they do it out in the public, then not only are they, are they in trouble uh, uh, in terms of the court of public opinion, but they're also in trouble with the law. And, and it's, I guess it's not as serious as using it off-label as it is as uh, dispensing it or distributing it. That's where the major crime is. Uh, I mean, let's face it, man. The only reason Barry Bonds, quote unquote, never got caught cheating was because his best buddy, uh, his personal trainer, never snitched on him. He had every opportunity to snitch on Barry Bonds uh, for this use of, of the clear and the and the, what was the other one, the clear and the uh, cream or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Greg Anderson said, I'm not talking to you. I got nothing to tell you, people. Put me in jail. I don't care. We all need friends like Greg Anderson who are willing to commit crimes with us and not put us in jail. We need guys like that who just take their money and shut up is, is really what it came down to. So we're really trying to reward guys who were able to manipulate the system to get away with this stuff. And we're penalizing guys for uh, getting caught. It, it's really how I see it. That's why. And, and that, that, that just becomes a snowball effect. But we got a little bit more uh, players to talk about. As you can see, I'm very ambivalent to this whole thing. I am at a point where I don't give two shits about this anymore. It is what it is. These guys cheated. Yep. Um, well, there are just, some... just, just so you know, even though even though Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were never officially caught and you had that whole case or whatever, I still lump them in with the steroid users. I don't have Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. As much as that pains me to say, because I liked, I loved Roger Clemens. I, I'm not putting him, and I'm not putting either one of them in the Hall of Fame either. Listen, as long as you're consistent, See, I think man. that's, fair. I think that's fair, Austin, because it's consistent. You're being consistent, right? You're, if anybody was suspected or got caught or tested positive or got suspended, anybody that has any kind of that stink, it sounds like you're saying all those guys are. You're never going to support them getting in, which, you know, at least you're being consistent. Because I think a lot of times, again, as fans, it's like. 
Well, all those guys shouldn't get in, but man, I'm a Red Sox fan, so I'm going to let Ortiz. Well, yeah, you're seeing it, you're seeing it right now. You're seeing Ortiz and Bonds and Clemens uh, garnering all this support, mm-hmm. but then you see Manny Ramirez, who pop right. taught three times, Sammy Sosa, who oh, not only corked used. bats, corked bats, but we know he used, and you know you've you've got a Rod who are not garnering as much support. It, you're either you and. I'm going to say it right here. Do I support steroids in the Hall of Fame? No. But if you let any one of those guys in there, mm-hmm. then they all go in. Because now that, we're – Sorry about that. That, that dog agrees for 100% right there. That dog is a, a, a full acquiescence. But my, my, my favorites, and I, when I say favorite, it's like my biggest pet peeve, is the people who go, oh, yeah, Barry Bonds should be in, Alex Rodriguez should be in, let them all in. What about Rafael Palmeiro? Hell no. I don't want Rafael Palmeiro. He saw the game. Okay, hypocrite. Shut up. All right. <laughs> like you said, either let them all in or don't. And, and, and by the way, there's plenty of PED users that did not use anabolic steroids or human growth hormones, but they use other substances to get themselves into the Hall of Fame. Um, and admittedly so. They just really talk about how they use amphetamines, which helped them which helped create the golden day, golden era of baseball, so to speak. So is it, I don't know, man, to me, that's kind of weird. Like the golden era of baseball was fueled by uh, pet pills and, and human growth, uh, not human, sorry, not human growth hormones, but uh, amphetamines that helped fuel that era that everybody uh, feels nostalgic about. It, it, I mean, that to me is just as bad as, as the steroids and the PED. So if everything is all fair and everything uh, is all the same, cheating is cheating no matter what, then, Forget, then get off the high horse. But yeah. I am going to surprise you guys with my picks in just a bit here. You know, I, I don't want to stray too too far away from the cup, but you were talking about golden era of baseball. And I it got me thinking about baseball. Uh, in baseball life, we've had a few posts about the steroid users and specifically Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa and things like that. Yeah. And you always have at least one person that gets on there and is like, well, they saved baseball. And I always, <laughs> I always think of the conversation that you and I had. I don't remember if it was on this one or on my podcast where you just went on like a five minute rant about if, if that's what saved baseball for you, then just go away. <laughs> I you were never a fan it. to begin with. Listen, you were yeah. never a fan to begin with. All right. You're, yeah. you're a fraud. You're a fraud who was looking for any <laughs> excuse to get back into the game i mean th- th- this is like what 98 1998 is the year that that baseball was saved well in 95 <laughs> i was told in 1995 that cal ripken was the one who saved baseball and then in 95 the seattle mariners saved baseball in seattle right because they defeated the yankees in the wild card so it's all narrative bullshit it's all like it's all a pick and choosing what best uh fits the the what makes you feel better at night oh well it's okay that these guys were using all types of peds because they saved baseball no they didn't i mean I mean, come on, are we really going to go that far? Yeah, it was exciting. I'm not going to take it away, but look at the after effects. You know what, Dan, you're a wrestling fan, right? If I remember correctly, you're an old school wrestling fan, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, they were using PEDs up the wazoo. Oh, good Lord. Oh God. Really bad. And oh it coincides God. with this era of baseball, too, where a lot of players are, are kind of doing what the WWE guys are doing. The only th- thing that stopped the WWF, WWE guys from using steroids and PEDs was that they got, they got caught. And all of a sudden, Vince McMahon, the uh, the, the pr- main promoter, wasn't interested in, in big hulking guys anymore. He wanted those lean guys, and and, and yes, that was uh, uh, that's what they also considered the glory days, the golden era of wrestling, right? The late '80s, early '90s, whatever that is. Guess what, though? A lot of those guys are dead. Yeah, from PD use, yeah. over usage and, of and PD. And what about use. though? What if we go back like to the early '70s? And again, like I don't want to go way off topic here, but 
if I go back to the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, you know, read any book about the Cincinnati Reds from the early 70s. Good Lord, the stuff they had flying around that clubhouse. Think of guys in in the 70s, even the guys we all put on pedestals. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, um, think of the Mike Schmitz and guys like that. They might not be PED specifically, but we all know just because we hear stories, we've read books, we've, you know, ball, all this stuff, all four, and all these different books that these guys have written. We know that stuff's been out there and all those guys are in. So, you know, where do we draw the line? I'm okay if they did amphetamines, but I draw the line of PED. It's it's all personal choice. And I don't think, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I just think is, as long as people are consistent with, you know, PED guys, I'm out. I'll finish with this and then we move on because we still got pictures to talk about. Um, the, listen, man, it's it's easy. The 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 fuel in Charlie Hustle was amphetamines, all right? And, and you mentioned the Reds, the big red machine. It's all fueled by reddies and greenies and all that. Secondly, <laughs> the only thing I wanted to mention was uh, George Will. And George Will, uh, I don't really like the guy, but he – I once uh, kind of skimmed through uh, uh, a book at the library one day, just, just randomly, right? And I – and I found this book about a collection of why steroids and baseball is bad or the argument for and against steroids. And I, 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 I got drawn upon this uh, article by George Will. It's a big, massive eye roll from George Will, as most of his stuff is. But he gets to a point where he says, where does it stop in 2022 or whatever in the future of baseball? We're going to see guys who are just so synthesized that it's no longer going to be a human game. How far is it that we're going to start using AI and robotics? We just talked about robots, didn't we? It always comes full circle on this freaking podcast. But George Will's uh, argument was, how far are we then from using robotics and synthesized uh, uh, human forms and artificial intelligence from taking over the game? And we always talk about the robot umpires. So I don't know. I, 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 again, it's a massive viral uh, article from George Will. But the more we... the more uh, we discuss these matters, the more I am drawn back to that article because it's like, how, how, how far is he now at this point in human history from George Will's horror from really happening? So that's all I'm going to say about that. Alex Rodriguez is speaking. Oh God, Alex Rodriguez. Uh, All right. This is a pretty shutting down case here. Let's start with Dan, Dan, Alex Rodriguez, yay or nay? If you're on our ballot, absolutely. All right. Austin, yes or no for Alex Rodriguez? I think you're going to say no, right? Absolutely not. Okay. And there's Barry Bonds. That's an emphatic no. Like, <laughs> not, not only, not only, I mean, who's stupid enough to get to get caught three times? Manny Ramirez and A-Rod. Like, come on. Not only that, but then you sue the Yankees for, for your contract when you cheated. Like, what do you, absolutely not. I could, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. All right. A couple of, I just want to read. And then there's Barry Bonds, the greatest player of all time of this era from this 40 year span from 1980 to the present time. There it is. Barry Bonds, the greatest of all time there, according. Well, I mean, speaking of Mel, Melvin, uh, I was going to read a a comment, but Melvin did pick Barry Bonds as his greatest left fielder of all time. As we, he's doing the, the goat series at every position in in major league baseball history. So um, uh, he writes, I guess, uh, at what cost did the saving of baseball come? And we, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks about that, right? Like, yes, it saved baseball, but you know what? Yeah, we, Dan, I, or we did talk about this. That a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that saved baseball, it all came crashing down. Roger Clemens has been um, exiled. Rafael Palmeiro exiled. Mark McGuire 
barely lucky enough to have a baseball job at this point. Barry Bonds is nowhere to be found in major league clubhouses at this point, even though he says that he wanted to manage or, and even coach some of the younger baseball players. So at what cost did it come? Well, a lot of these guys uh, parlayed short-term success for long-term um, scrutiny. And a lot of these guys are on the hall of fame and they're probably not going to get into the hall of fame anytime soon. Uh, although Barry Bonds, I think he's pretty close. We'll get to that in just a bit. Let's go to the pitchers. There's not a lot of pitchers to talk about here. So let's start from the beginning. And uh, yeah, it starts with Tim Lincecum at the bottom. Um, not, I mean, the strikeouts are there. He did play in a very strikeout heavy era. But uh, Austin, let's start with you. Is Tim Lincecum Hall of Fame worthy? Um, no, not. I don't, I don't think he's even close. Um, okay. <laughs> again, you know, there, there are average pitcher uh, Hall of Fames too. Um, besides the 60 war, um, it seems like the average ERA for a Hall of Famer <clears throat> is about three. Um, the average ERA plus is about 125. And the average FIP is also around three. Um, I think the problem with Lincecum is his ERA is high at 374. His FIP is high at 345. And he didn't play long enough. He only played 10 seasons. Mm-hmm. So... I don't, I don't think Tim, I think, you know, Tim Lincecum had a couple great seasons, uh, won the, uh, won the Cy Young mm-hmm. after he won the Cy Young, he kind of went downhill and he tried to make a comeback with the angels. And just as every other angels pitcher does, he got hammered. <laughs> uh, and then you never saw him ever again. So I, I don't think Tim Lincecum is a hall of famer. It was great to watch him those those next couple those last or those couple of years that he was really good. He's got one of the most unique deliveries I've seen in a pitcher, especially yeah. being instead especially with being a successful pitcher. But I don't think Tim Linscombe is a Hall of Famer. Uh, really quick before I get to Dan, I just want to point out that Jet also made a comment that made me laugh a little bit here. This era is brought to you by drugs. So say no. Remember that say no to drugs that their program. Obviously, it did not. It did not go into. It did not streamline well with these major league baseball players. Also, Which a good morning coincides with the say no to drugs campaign movement. Oh, abs. Good point there, Austin. Very good point. Yeah. <laughs> so Jose Canseco. Yeah, they were probably doing lip service to Ronald Reagan's uh, uh, program back in the day, but they were all <laughs> injecting themselves. Uh, okay. And a good morning to Ricky, who's a big White Sox fan as well. Thanks for tuning in, uh, Dan. Tim wants to come. Uh, I guess you will agree with Austin there, or no? Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think there's much there. Again, a couple of really good seasons and everybody thought he was, you know, he was the next great right handed starter. Uh, and, you know, everybody was was uh, all into him with his, you know, I, I think he I think a big thing with him was his training method when he was a kid, when he was growing up with his dad, his dad put a dollar bill. Yeah, uh, on the ground in front of him, and he would that would force him to follow through to pick that up, and that was kind of his story. And he had a couple of really good years, like Austin said. And then and pitchers, it seems like pitchers, it, maybe not so much now, but you know, you get hurt, that really derails. It really seems like it derails these these elite guys more than it derails the um, the mid mid range, you know, two and three starter guys as opposed to your aces, but you know, that injury really set him back. And he, like again, like Austin said, he just never recovered from that. Very interesting th- things from Tim Lincecum because not, not only was he, the Austin mentioned the delivery, uh, Dan's mentioning the dad. 
it, it, it goes beyond. I think the dad was an engineer, unlike uh, one Dan who went to Purdue and did not become an engineer. But I think the dad was an engineer and they were big on biomechanics. That was going to be the next big thing in Major League Baseball. Biomechanics, Tim Lentz become successful in it. Other players should do it too. Now, for Maybe there is a small part that uh, uh, there's a small population of pitchers that bought in into the whole biomechanic movement. I mean, we're seeing now analytics uh, using being and computers being used to scout the way pitchers throw and the way pitchers can more effectively do the delivery. Well, Incom was all like, he was basically a machine. I mean, they, the dad did everything in his power to make him more mechanically sound and consistent. But one thing the dad did not believe in was icing. He did not believe in icing your, your, your throwing arm after a grueling start. Uh, you know why? Because ice is for drinks, not for your arm, not for your sore muscles. And who knows if that might have accelerated Tim Lincecum's demise. What's that, Austin? I was going to say, as a player, I didn't like icing either. But it, should like, it be I used? Like heat. You like heat. Okay. Well, he I didn't like use heat. either. He didn't use heat or ice. He, uh, after the games, he would just put on his jacket and and be on his way. And yeah, do see, interviews. I, I don't I don't agree with that. You need something, but I didn't like I didn't like ice because for me, it of course ice tightens it up. Yeah. Right. And so I always felt like you know it tightens it up. I feel like for me anyway, personally, it made it worse. I want my I want my body to go back to or I want my muscles to go back to being loose. So I always did heat whenever I was sore. What position did you play, Austin? Uh pick one. <laughs> I played them all. Um, okay, good. Did you yeah. pitch? Um, I pitched for I pitched a little bit. I was just a guy that could throw hard and straight. So, you know, I was not a pitcher by any means. The only the only position that I really didn't play was first, and that's because I'm I'm five six. So, <laughs> you know, that ain't gonna happen. But yeah, when I was when I was little, I played the middle infield, or when I was younger, I played the middle infield. Then my high school moved me out to the outfield. And then I, you know, learned how to play catcher as well when I got there. So by the time I got into college, I was an outfielder and a catcher. Little known fact about Austin, he was also a member of the outfield. He just wanted to use your love that night. Um, Jet says that. <laughs> Jet says that uh, it sounds like Austin needed some hot ice. So there you go. There, either Austin or maybe Tim Lincecum. I can't tell. Uh, Jet, we're in a seven-second delay, man. You got to be specific on some of these comments, man. Maybe both. Maybe both need a hot eyes. I don't know. All right, let's move on to the next guy on the list. We're, again, we're only talking about the guys in blue. Jake Peavy, uh, you know, he was uh, uh, best described as a bulldog, you know, uh, a guy who'll just go out there at no matter what, every five days. He could, you know, his shoulder had to be hanging from a thread for him not to make his next start. But ultimately, it made him very uh, ineffective. Decent strikeout percentages. Uh, real decent uh, strikeout per walk, but not much else to brag about here. Uh, finished with a whip of 119, which is respectable, but that's slightly above average compared to, uh, you know, um, the greats on this list, which again, for starting pitchers, we're looking at minimum of 1,500 innings pitch and 27.0 fan graphs wins above replacement. Jake PB is at 43 and a half. Dan Butler, Jake PB, Hall of Fame, yay or nay? And nothing really to add to what you're saying. I mean, I, I think, you know, he, again, one of these guys that pitched for quite a few years and was pretty solid. Yep. And he was a hot trade prospect. And he was uh, not prospect, but he was also a, a deadline guy, yep. uh, hot free agent when he was out there. But 
just put together a lot of really good seasons, just nothing outstanding, I don't think. And Austin, I would imagine that you agree with Dan in that sentiment. Uh, I agree with Dan. Um, there were even times when there was a number of years where he had a solid, <clears throat> he had a solid season, but Jake Peavy wasn't the best pitcher on his team. So uh, I don't know about that, man. Some, those some of those Padres teams, he Padres was, teams weren't that good. I mean, some, he was but I, I'm talking about issue. there were some years. I'm not saying every year he wasn't. Oh, okay. I'm saying that you know there were some years he wasn't even the best pitcher on the team. So, you know, but his ERA is high, his FIP is high. It, I, I don't have Jake PV in his, in the Hall of Fame. All right, man. So you guys are rough, man. I mean, there were, I mean, there was a time where he was the ace on some of those teams. All right, I'm just going to randomly pick a year. Let's go 2009. Oh, 2009, he got traded to the White Sox. Uh, all right, let's just go 2010. Let's see what that team looks like, right? I'm on the other screen. My point at, exactly. Here we are. <laughs> that's, that's that's his mid mid tier uh, career there, right? Middle of the of his career, 2010. Who else was on this rotation? This is the first full season of Jake uh, PV with the White Sox. Uh, yeah, John Danks, Mark Burley, also uh, a Hall of Fame prospect here. Gavin Floyd, Freddie Garcia, Jake PV, and Edwin Jackson. Uh, who do you guys think was the best pitcher, starting pitcher in that team? 2010 White Sox. I'd go with Burley, probably. Uh, yeah, I guess you could go with Burley, probably. Uh, John Danks was probably had the better numbers. I was going to say, Ford. I think that was right around the time when John Danks had a couple good seasons. Yeah. Oh, man, I don't want to talk about John Danks. What about Danks? All right, let's move on here. <laughs> Tim Tim Hudson is right there, uh, but he is uh, a returnee on this. There's Mark Burley. We just talked about him. Uh, a couple of clean guys there. Hudson Burley, I never heard anything about it. There's Andy Pettit. He's not clean. Kurt Schilling, not only is he not clean, but he's soiled as a human being, very despicable. I wish he was. Next time I want to hear about Kurt Schilling is if he gets impaled by a dildo. I really don't give two shits about him at this point, but uh, I'm pretty sure. That Why the... specifically? <laughs> that's very specific. Well, that's a, that's a, that is an oddly specific punishment. Oh, I've been thinking about this all week long. I, I And I was too sick to do it last week. We talked about Roger Clemens as well, but Kurt Schilling. Because I know Austin, I listen to his podcast, and I go, okay, so you're not going to vote for the PD guys, but you're going to vote for this guy, this clown ass. First of all, he's a traitor to the country, all right? He is a threat to First uh, First Amendment rights among journalists. I mean, he himself is a, you could call him a commentator, but he, he works in the journalism industry as well with the right-wing stuff, nonsense that he spews out. And thirdly, even if you don't think, if you want, don't want to put the PD guys in, let's take a very close look at this guy's career. Because when he was in Philadelphia in the late 90s, he was basically done. Uh, I mean, yeah, he made a couple of all-star games. I'll, I'll give him that, Kurt Schilling. But in 2000, it looked like he was completely done. Even when he was traded to the, the, to the Diamondbacks, he didn't – I mean, he was barely hanging on to a thread. And then in 2001, he has that career year at the age of 34 and then gets a second and third win on his career in 2004, helping the Red Sox at the age of 37. Come on. Knowing what we know now at the, about the human body and about how – uh, these arms were prone to break down. We're here to, I'm just going to sit here and you telling me that Kurt Schilling did it the right way and he did it cleanly, despite the fact that what we know about PED use and age, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. I am going to sit here and say that Kurt Schilling, fine. You want to, you want to separate the politics from the baseball? Fine. Kurt Schilling is a PED user. Therefore he does. If you're going to be on that high horse, 
Do not vote for Kurt Schilling because he's a PED user. All right, let's start with Dan because I know where Austin's going with this. But Dan, let's let's go with you. Kurt Schilling, we talked about him last year. You agree that he is a, a, a soil on this country. But what else do you have to add about Dan? Uh, about so, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that probably would have been best served over the last probably two years just to keep it, just to sit there and keep his mouth shut. Yeah. Regardless of what he thought or didn't think, just keep your mouth shut. He's probably in. He's probably yeah. easily in. Uh, and, and this is more than, and, and this is more than just not liking Biden, not liking Obama, not like it, it's a lot more than not liking one side or the other. This guy supported what happened on January the sixth. He didn't support just the protest portion; he supported the Get storming taxed. of the Capitol. Mm-hmm. That's we can talk about taking politics out of this. This is a lot more than I think you said this, Libby. This is a lot more than just taking politics out of it. This is taking out a. It was pretty serious. I mean, it was it's, pretty it's, serious what happened, and to be a well, not part of it, but well, I guess he was a part of it if he 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 encouraged it and he supported it. He's a traitor. That's a, a that, that's a big deal. I mean, there is a there is a moral and ethics clause in the Hall of Fame voting, um, and that's a different discussion for a different day. But this certainly, I think, um, should be lumped into the morals and ethics clause again. This isn't about did he take PDs or did he? This is. You tried to overturn an election. <laughs> I mean, that is serious. And that's, we don't want to talk about politics here, but I mean, I think that's what's keeping him out. So I think he'd have been best served. Just keep your mouth shut. Yeah. But and then if wanna... you want to come out and look like the fool, look like the horse's ass, wait till you're in and then come out and, and go crazy. I think you should just sit there, be quiet, because let's be honest, a lot of us don't really care what these guys' politics are. We really don't care. Listen, man, Whether nobody cares disagree, about but this guy is just he went way, way, way far to the right. And even for somebody like me as a conservative, he's a little too far right for me. And before I move it to Austin again here, let me just say this, that everybody talks about, well, we got to keep politics separate from baseball. This guy, all he does is talk about politics and let's put take away his po- political stances on everything. He's a transphobe. He's a homophobe. He he's had nothing but bad things to say about all types of groups of people. He's an alt writer. You know, those people that say, Oh, it's not really racist, but we all know you're a racist piece of shit. All right. You're, you're Kurt Schilling. That's your legacy. All right. You are who you are. You, 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 you went into the rabbit hole. You can't dig yourself out of it. You're lumped in with that group. Like Dan says, you're a traitor to the country. And yeah, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, I mean, support supporting the storming of the Capitol is not, a political stance it's not a political view that is a that, that that just goes beyond logic that goes beyond whatever we want to whatever words we want to use he went way beyond the pale on that stuff and it, that that's not politics that's uh, uh i don't know what we would call that that's everyday life that that i think paints the kind of picture of a person you are and i was ready to vote him in this year like Take away January 6th and his stance on it. I was like, okay, fine. He's had his, we, we, I've had my fun torturing this guy because obviously this is, this is beginning to annoy him. I mean, he said so himself last year. Oh, you know what? Take me off the ballot then. If you guys aren't going to do this right, take me off the ballot. I'll take my chance with the Veterans Committee. Like, mm. And then, Dan, we talked about this. Well, it depends who's on the committee, right? So we'll see about that. But no, he, all he had to do, like you said, keep his mouth shut. I think I remember talking about this with some of the guys. I think Henry said, you know what? All he has to do is shut. He agrees with you. Shut your ass up. Don't say anything. But he can't help himself. Why? Because he's in that business. He's in the business to talk nonsense because Mm -hmm. it's good for his brand, I guess, whatever's left of his brand. And 
whatever. Anyway, that's that's my stance. And, and before I move it to Austin, I, I promise you, Austin, I'll get it back to you. There's plenty of guys in baseball who are conservative. I'm left leaning as left leaning as is. I'm dealing with Kurt, I mean, with Dan, who he just said he's more of on the conservative side than the liberal side. I I've had podcast partners who don't agree with me politically, but I am able to set those differences aside for the betterment of this baseball game. If I were to let every political uh, affiliation of these baseball players affect the way I view this game, I wouldn't be watching because a lot of these guys are conservative by nature, even though they're in a union. They all vote Republican. Most of them vote Republican because it's they're in the right tax bracket. A couple of guys I want let's to mention. Be honest. Yeah, well, let's be honest, Felipe. Just extrapolate that to your whole life. If we did that, you would never do anything. You would just <laughs> sit in your house and stare at the wall because everybody's got different views on everything. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was going to mention two guys, right? Chipper Jones once said this about my people. You know, I am of Latino descent. Uh, he said, you know what we need to do is just put a bunch of alligators and crocodiles on the Rio Grande and that will solve all the immigration problems in there, which is a very insensitive thing to say. It is, it, it, and it shows who he is as a person. Now, love the guy as a baseball player, but as a human being, I don't want to support him. I don't want to be in the same room with him. I don't wish anything good for him. I wish nothing but bad things for him and his family because of all the things that he says, because he, he is encouraging suffering of a large groups of people. You reap what you sow in this world. If that's your worldview, then I wish nothing but bad things to you as a human person. But love you as a baseball player, right? That's one of the greatest switch hitting baseball players I've ever seen. But you're a despicable, despicable human being. But I'm okay with you being in the Hall of Fame. Mariano Rivera, Trump supporter. I don't give a shit. Fine. You want to be duped in with that clown show, that circus? By all means, great. But I am not going to be that person who does not elect Mariano Rivera into the Hall of Fame because of his political affiliation. So I'm able to differentiate that, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be paying attention to this game if, if I were to let every political uh, stances of all these players rule my the way I view this game. But Kurt Schilling, like Dan said, takes it to another level, and that's another level that I cannot forgive. Now, here we are. Mm -hmm. We weren't going to talk about these guys in yellow, but, but Kurt Schilling is a lightning rod. Austin Spiro, you are a supporter of Kurt Schilling. I'll let you have your piece. Go ahead and take it away. Um, I think I'm very much, uh, you know, take the political stuff out and just look at the baseball. Um, did he say some pretty – he, he, he said some stuff that opens up your eyes. You're like, whoa, right? But he did it after his baseball career and it didn't really affect his baseball career. So that's why I think I'm able to kind of put it to the side as, as much, as much as I do, um, awesome. as, as far as the, uh, PEDs go, I can see your point with the, you know, he, he was over the hill and then all of a sudden he had a career year that's suspicious I, I get that, but I think there we're gonna we're starting to now we're starting to be our own judge, jury, and executioner and executioner. It's not as clear cut as David Ortiz or even people like Mike Piazza or or Barry Bonds who never did test positive or Roger Clemens who never did test positive. I think that's a matter of, you know, oh, I saw these stats and these stats are really good and it, it's an abnormality. So he must be doing this. That's a, that's a, that's a matter of opinion. Um, the truth is I have no evidence. You know, I, I don't really, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like Kurt Schilling 
that is a little bit of a, um, I think that's a bit of a stretch for me. Um, even then it took me, it, it, he did, I did give him a lot of thought because he's got the, he's got the war, but his ERA is high. Uh, he's at a three, four, six career ERA for his, but he's got a one twenty seven ERA plus what really, I think kind of swayed me was his FIP. His FIP is a little bit closer at 3.23, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, which tells me that he was a better pitcher than what the defense on the field um, portrayed. Um, in, in this case, the defense hurt him. So I have Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame. I think he did enough on the field to to warrant um, Hall of Fame. But I am, but I'm not going to sit here and go. Kurt Schilling belongs in the Hall of Fame. He belongs in the Hall of Fame without saying you're right. He should have kept his mouth shut. <laughs> You know, if he didn't, if, you know, you are a public figure, not only are you a public figure, but you are not in politics. You made your living as a baseball player. And just as Dan says, nobody cares what your political affiliations is until you start spewing out, you know, stuff that makes people look at you. And I don't think the baseball writers want something like that in the hall of fame because it will take the focus away from baseball. It's just the, it's the society that we live in today. If Kurt Schilling gets into the hall of fame, it is no longer about Kurt Schilling's baseball career. It is about Kurt Schilling's Twitter page. And I think he did have some political aspirations as well. Kurt Schilling did. Uh, I'm not sure how good they are at this point because uh, you know, he's trying listen, man, this, this, this guy just can't help himself. But at any rate, I can imagine next uh, this upcoming June or July, whenever they have those inductions, Kurt Schilling is up at the podium and you know what that speech is going to be. You know what the, what he's going to use that platform. He's going to be warned not to do it, but he's not going to be able to help himself. He's going to spew the nonsense that he's been spewing for the last 10 or 15 years. And it's going to be everything that he has said about groups of people, about his political affiliations, about his social political stances is going to be justified because he's in the hall of fame. It's like you, you give this, you give a person that hall of fame status and they feel like they can do whatever the hell they want, that, that their whole life is not, not just their baseball career, but their entire life has been justified, including all this stuff that makes them a despicable human being and makes this society just unbearable to live in because of guys like him. He's a bully. You know what bullies deserve? They don't deserve Hall of Fame induction. They deserve a punch in the face and a dildo up their ass. All right, let's move on to the relief pitchers here. I, I'll, end, I'll end with this. Go ahead. I'm sure with as many people that are in the Hall of Fame, I'm sure there is more than one shitty person in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I'm sure there is. There's got to be. I mean, law of averages, yeah. there's got to be multiple shitty people in the Hall of Fame. But Kurt Schilling's problem is he's he's got – and whether you think he's a shitty person or not, I mean, I'm not he here is. to argue whether you think he's a shitty person or not. Because, you know, I, you know, but, you know, there are plenty there. I'm sure there are plenty of shitty people in the Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling's problem is, you know, he opened his mouth. Yeah, we so, know he is. I mean, yeah. he, 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 so, he's, he has no qualms about hiding it. You know, there's a thing about being uh, just a decent human being. You got nothing nice to say. Don't say it at all. This guy, 
he just says whatever, no filter, just says whatever the hell he wants and then expects us to respect his viewpoints. No, nah. you say something, expect counterattacks, counterpoints. That's how society works. But Schilling wants special privileges. He wants to get rewarded for his bad behavior. And I'm glad that the baseball writers are not accounting to it. Although we'll see. Dan's about to share a, uh, the ballots as of uh, today. We'll see if the baseball writers still feel that way. Remember, this is, this is a guy who was uh, was pro having journalists being hung from the highest tree. He said that. That's what he wants. And he doesn't respect the baseball writers of, uh, of America uh, being able to vote for Hall of Fame inductees. So listen, man, you, that's the bed you made. You know, that is the bed you made. You're going to insult the panel that's going to vote you in. Expect these results. Anyway, here so are the real, closers. Real quick, just one, I want one real quick point. I want to ask each one of you guys a question is, do you think if all these ballots were 100% um, anonymous uh, that he'd have a better shot? Or do you think folks, because ballots do become public at some point, that even if a, a voter takes the ask, takes the point of view that I'm separating, ever, I'm looking at simply baseball. I'm looking at his baseball reference page, and that's it. That if they vote for Kurt Schilling, it's going to be all of a sudden. Wait a second. Now the public's going to say you voted for him. That means you condone or or agree with or somehow are ignoring what he is supporting. Do you think that could be a factor when some of these guys voting? Hard to tell. Because uh, some of these ballots do become public, but not all the ballots become public. Right. Uh, the ones that either they voluntarily release it to the public or they get leaked. So I think a lot of these guys, a lot of these writers are voting. If they, if they don't say that they want that they're OK with sharing their ballot. I, I think a lot of the guys who remain anonymous are under the assumption that they are going to stay anonymous. But he said those words. He said, you know what? Yeah. Get, take me off the ballot next year. I don't want to be, I don't want the writers get, getting me in. I mean, if you're a baseball journalist who devotes his entire life to this craft, how do you not take that personal? How do you not, how do you not say, all right, well, if that's what Kurt wants, screw you. Here's a middle finger for your troubles. Good luck with your uh, peers. And, and and again, Dan, we talked about this. It just depends who's on that committee to get those guys in. Cause next year he's, he, you would have to say that he would be considered a finalist for that uh, today's game uh, uh, committee for yeah. next year. It, it just depends who's in there. I mean, Harold Baines was able to get inducted because Jerry Reinsdorf did him a solid favor. Jerry Reinsdorf used to uh, pay his salary and he loved Harold Baines. Who on that panel, on that committee, loves Chris Schilling enough that number one, doesn't feel completely alienated by him. And number two, are able to turn a blind eye to all the all the, the the vitriol that he speaks of so it, it's not that it's not that shut open and shut case that he thinks it's going to be so it, it, and that's his peers imagine people who actually covered the game and wrote about the game now having to see make a decision about Kurt Schilling I think the decision was made easily by Kurt Schilling by opening his yapper and saying you know what mm -hmm. screw these writers I don't care about if you if I get elected by you guys so I don't think it matters if it's anonymous or not. So I guess to answer your question, I, I guess it doesn't really matter. I think writers are going to take this, whatever he said, personal, and they're going to and they're going to say, all right, well, if you don't want to be a part of this ballot, then here's my middle finger to you, Kurt. Have fun with that one. So that's my viewpoint. Austin, uh, what would you say about that with uh, today's I think, question? I think anonymous ballots would actually hurt Kurt Schilling. Mm -hmm. I think really? I think I, the reason why is because if you make anonymous ballots, and you are a writer on the committee 
and they induct Schilling into the Hall of Fame on anonymous ballots, even if you are a writer that did not vote for Schilling, you are lumped in as voting in for Schilling because nobody because nobody would know. Now, these writers have readers, they have fans, they have people that are loyal to them. Right. And if they don't agree, and if they're of the camp that, you know, Kurt Schilling doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame and I'm going to, you know, be upset and not, you know, cancel or whatever you want to call it, a- anybody that supports him, as soon as, as soon as they see that the baseball writers induct him into the Hall of Fame – all of them are lumped in there, whether they voted for him or not. Yep. So I think that would actually hurt Kurt Schilling. So you think team. it would go? The, you think it would actually go the other way? I think it would go the other way. It's an interesting point. So the only the the only way that I think would be able to help Kurt Schilling is if not only if the ballots were anonymous, but the members of the committee were anonymous as well. Nah, that's not gonna happen. But that's never going to happen. Yeah. So I think if you made anonymous ballot, purely anonymous ballots, Kurt Schilling, we wouldn't even be talking about Kurt Schilling. I think he, I, I do not, I think it would hurt him, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of having a, a baseball Hall of Fame vote if you can't even brag about it? I mean, that's part of the prestige, isn't it? I mean, you would think. Yeah. All right, let's move on to these relief pitches really quick. Uh, Joe Nathan, Jonathan Papelbon, uh, they obviously have the rate stats. They don't have the cumulative stats. Even the war stats don't uh, have them uh, below 20 war. And again, to make it to this list, you have to have had a minimum. This, these are the relief pitchers, by the way, for those who can't see. 700 innings pitch and 10 fan grabs wins above replacement or better. Joe Nathan and Jonathan Papelbon, like I said, they have the strikeout totals. They have the rate stats. What they don't have is cumulative stats. Uh, saves, uh, they're slightly above average, but the games played is very low. The innings pitch is pretty low as well. So, yeah, they were uh, definitely hurt by the new era of baseball where the bullpen is so hyper-specialized during this time of uh, period that closers are the closers because they're the closers. They're the ninth inning guys. They only pitch ninth inning. So we'll see. I mean, I think Austin mentioned this on his podcast where I agree. You, you There has to be a better way to gauge these guys uh, careers for Hall of Fame consideration because they're as the game progresses and evolves, they're a much major part of how this game is played, and they do deserve some consideration, even if if they're just specialists. I, I mean, we talk about speed specialists and guys like Maury Wilson, Jimmy Rollins. Maybe we should do the same for these closers. But anyway, there's Billy Wagner; he's a returner on this uh, ballot, um, and there's Mariano Rivera, who's still considered the greatest of all time numerically speaking narratively speaking uh eye test speaking everything about him the only thing he doesn't have are the strikeout per nine but even then it's like everything else is just goes his way so that's how these guys compare to Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman and Lee Smith and so on and so forth uh let's move on really quick to our picks here because we're running out of time so I do apologize that I did not get a chance to get your thoughts on those relief pitchers but let's uh, get to the <clears throat> to these picks uh, let's start with me since I'm the first one here. So, yeah, I, so after talking to Dan on the early era and the golden days committee and how character is just a big of a factor as on the field performance, I decided that this year I'm only going to vote for guys who were never, who, uh, I've never heard any suspicion of PED use and have, I'm going to vote for the guys who did it the right way, the clean way and all that. So that's why Jimmy Rollins is on the list. Cause, uh, yeah, he, 
His career naturally progressed. It peaked and it declined just like a normal human being. Todd Helton, after years of uh, not wanting to include him, I finally decided, you know what? He Compared to these other first basemen that are, are, are on the uh, uh, ballot for the first time, he wasn't that bad of a player. Jeff Kent, just because I want to piss off Barry Bonds, screw that guy. And I think Jeff <laughs> Kent used, but screw Barry Bonds. Bobby Abreu, you know what? He's a Sammy Sosa clone, but I never heard him get sus- uh, suspected of PED use. So he's going in. Scott Rowland, criminally, criminally, never, uh, uh, not in the Hall of Fame. Hopefully this is the year for him to get in. So he's got my vote. Andrew Jones, probably the best defensive outfielder of all time, according to the metrics. So he's in. Tim Hudson and Mark Burley. Yeah. Clean pitchers, unlike Kurt Schilling, you know, natural up uh, progression, natural decline. So, you know, we're going to, you know what, if we're going to not vote for guys who are in the PD, I put my money where my mouth is. I'm not voting for any of those guys. Tim Hudson and Mark Burley did it the right way, and they're throwbacks to a much more uh, simpler time. Billy Wagner, he deserves to be in. And Joe Nathan, I had to vote for one more closer, so I voted for Joe Nathan, even though he doesn't have the cumulative stats. Austin, let's go with you. What do you, what do you have there? All right, so mine is uh, kind of similar to uh, f- uh, yours, Felipe. It seems like my first one. Um, I'm going to have Omar Vizquel. Um, no, he was not an offensive person by any means. And when you look at his offensive stats, he, you know, is nowhere close. But the and I think I said this on my podcast. The other thing I take into consideration is the narrative piece. Is there something narratively that you know, will help you get into consideration. And I'm 26. So I didn't really watch Omar Vizquel play when Omar Vizquel was playing. I was young. So even I was like, really like a little kid. So even when I started paying attention to baseball, um, I really wasn't paying attention to Omar Vizquel. I knew who he was, but I didn't, you know, pay attention to him at all. So I asked around, I asked, you know, people of baseball life. I put out a post. Um, and I asked, you know, people like my father who watched Omar Vizquel play and the, and the thing that I asked, cause we all know his offensive blunders. What I asked was, would you put Omar Vizquel in the same defensive category as Ozzie Smith Absolutely. Right? or, so, or something to that, to that effect? And so, mm-hmm. and overwhelmingly everybody said, well, yeah, it's, it's Ozzie Smith. Um, it's one, two, Ozzie Smith, Omar Vizquel, and then 50 feet of crap. And then everybody else. Uh, I don't know about 50 feet of crap. Mark, you know what I mean? I'm just making an analogy saying that they're so far ahead of everybody else in terms of defense. When you're talking about Omar Vizquel is one of the best defensive uh, shortstops in in the majors. And that's a critical position for defense. I'm putting, I'm putting Omar in there. I think Omar deserves to be in the hall of fame. Um, really quickly, Todd Helton, um, even though he was, he was Coors field. When you look at some, when you look at his adjusted numbers, his adjusted offensive numbers, he's one of the better hitters of all time. I think Todd Helton deserves to be in the hall of fame. Uh, Jeff Kent, uh, Jeff Kent, um, you know, I'm right there with, with you guys. It seems like everybody, vo- uh, all of us voted for Jeff Kent. Uh, Jeff Kent is a great, he was a good hitter. His defense kind of lacked a little bit, but, you know, his his hitting really made up for it. And I think once he switched to second base, I would have really been interested to see what he did if his entire career was at second base. It seemed as soon as he went to second base, his, um, his numbers got better. Uh, next one on my list, 
Bobby Abreu. Bobby Abreu is very, very underrated. He was one. Of, he's a very, very good um, candidate for the Hall of Fame. I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. I, along with Scott Rowland, I think it's criminal that he's not in. His all warps number is 118. That's just short of the top 100 of all time in terms of all warps, right? And everything else fits. He's He's either average or above average in everything else that I looked at. Bobby Abreu is a Hall of Famer. Put the man in. Scott Rowland, I don't think there's much else to say. It's criminal. Put him in. Uh, Andrew Jones, one of the best defensive center fielders to play, um, you know, and he's got some offensive numbers um, as well that make him a Hall of Famer. 62.7 war and a 112.9 all warps plus is good enough for the Hall of Fame. Uh, on top of his defense, if I put Omar Vizquel in because of his defense, I'm putting Andrew Jones in because of his defense. And then I have I have Kurt Schilling. We talked about Kurt Schilling. Where, where I think I'm just gonna you know go past that. I do I do have Kurt Schilling on mine. Um, I also have Jonathan Papelbon, Billy Wagner, and Joe Nathan on on mine for the Hall of Fame. And here's why: I do think that there definitely needs to be a better way to assess relief pitchers in this day and age, because now we're in an evolving era where, where relief pitchers are so vital and so needed, especially, you know, closers closers in some cases are one of the better pitchers on your team, but some of these guys are not getting in the hall of fame. In the case of Joe Nathan, Joe Nathan's FIP is high. His ERA is low, but he's in the top 10 in all time saves. Right? So, how how is Joe Nathan not in there? I mean, yeah, you have Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman, one, two. They were freaks of nature. They're 200 saves above everybody else. But Joe Nathan is right there in the top 10 in, in saves. Jonathan Papelbon is, is 10th. He only played 12 years in the big leagues, and he's 10th all-time in saves. That's dominance right there. Mm. you know, it's, 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 it's not as long of a playing career, but he was dominant when he was there. So I'm putting pa- Papelbon in the hall of fame and then Billy Wagner, same thing, two, three, one ERA, a one eighty seven career ERA plus and a 2.73 career, uh, career FIP. And he's in the top 10 all time in saves. Um, I'm putting Billy Wagner in as well. Billy Wagner is actually sixth. really quickly. Can you guys take a guess on who's ninth without cheating? Who's ninth? All time. All time. All right. Well, ninth is uh, I got Jonathan Papelbon, but that's since 1980, so I don't know. Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was I, I was shocked when I saw that Craig Kimbrell is already ninth. I can see that. So, yeah, but that's that's my list. Oh, but the one thing he doesn't have is 700 innings pitch, so that's why he's not on this list. Well, wow, that's pretty amazing. But it just goes to show you that the the. Uh, what baseball teams have done in the last uh, 20 years or so to make that a hyper-specialized game uh, for the ninth inning guy. Because before then, Lee Smith had to pitch like three or four innings a game. Same thing with Dennis Eckersley and all those other guys that you see on this list. Goose Gossage is on the list. Dan Plezak, uh, he got the warp. He doesn't have the saves, but because, you know, but that's another story for another time. Dan, let's quickly move on to you as we're running out of time. Sure. Here. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just be real. I'll be real quick. Um, I won't go. I, I've got the PD guys in. I've got Ortiz. I've got Sammy Sosa. I've got Manny Ramirez and uh, uh, Clemens. So we've already Jeff discussed Hill. all that. Jeff um, Hilton. Hilton. 
Helton and Jeff Kent, again, same reasons that both of you have discussed on both of them. The same with Abreu. Roland, again, absolutely criminal. He's not there. I got to vote for my fellow Indiana guy. Yeah. Uh, even though he went to work for IU after he retired. Um, I'm not going to hold that against him. Uh, Billy Wagner, you talk about criminal. That guy is absolutely criminal. And, you know, I was looking at his stuff this week. And a lot of these players, when they get to the end of their careers, they closing in on 40, their numbers start to suffer a little bit. Look at Billy Wagner. His, his age 38 year is arguably his best year of his career. His numbers almost got better as he got older. That guy should be an absolute uh, no-brainer. Not 100%, of course, but he should be in. And then Sheffield, look at uh, my argument, look at his numbers. Look hmm. at Gary Sheffield's numbers. That guy should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, we're talking about one of the, I don't know if I want to use the word greatest. I think that term's overused a lot. One of the better hitters a lot of us have seen in our lifetime. One of the better right-handed hitters we've seen in a while. So Sheffield ranks uh, 34th overall since 1980 uh, uh, in terms of war. 467 doubles, 509 home runs, 1,600 RBI. So, yeah, I mean, it's all, I mean you're seeing it uh, on the screen here. It's all red and orange uh, among his peers. So maybe there is an argument for him, but you know what? He cheated. So there's that. So, no, nah, uh, I'll give this to Sheffield. He, he, was, he had one of the uh, – most uh, enjoyable batting stances I've ever seen. I still love to imitate him when I do softball or, or batting practice. I love that bat wiggle. And uh, he's about, what, 50-plus years old now, and he's still hitting bombs. So don't tell me drugs aren't useful. So good for him. He's still hitting Can bombs. Can I ask you a question, Felipe? Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you a question. So uh, Dan just said that Billy Wagner, um, his best years were when he got older. And you talked about Kurt Schilling and how he uh, and how he had a career year as he got older, even though he declined. So um, I, I want to ask you, what's the difference between Billy Wagner and Kurt Schilling in terms uh, of baseball? Yeah. Uh, well, but Billy Wagner isn't Kurt Schilling. That's the difference. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I knew you were going to ask me that. I had a feeling someone was going to call me out on that, uh, but no, I, I mean, Billy Wagner was always, it was a, it's a great story because he was uh, a, a left-handed pitch flamethrower but a small guy, he was never going to be someone that would, that was supposed to throw that hard. And you know what, through lots of injuries, I mean, this guy succumbed to so many injuries throughout his career and was able to just bounce back and reinvent himself and become an effective closer. I mean, in terms of just getting saves, that was him, but you know, he mentioned that at the, uh, he was uh, still uh, an effective guy. Uh, even in his latter stages of his career. But let's look at it more closely. In 2010, his last season in baseball, 37 saves. Before that, uh, he was already kind of declining. Uh, 2009, he only pitched 17 games. Oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, he pitched 17 total games in 2009. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it was due to some sort of arm injury because he's always had to battle some sort of arm injury throughout his life. And I, I just have to put that up that saying that he was uh, probably well-rested, probably healthy for the first time in his life. And in 2010, he had his swan song, uh, posting his best numbers uh, in, in a long time. And then he called a career. So uh, as a 36-year-old, he had a very good season with the Mets. But again, 27 saves only. I mean, that's seen as bad. But I mean, two, I mean, as a relief pitcher, that's he had a pretty good season that year, 230, 266 FIP. Just chalk it up to a guy who's only – duty was to pitch uh one inning 
of right. You could say ninth inning is a pressure pack situation, but if there's nobody on base, is it really pressure pack? It just goes back to what I was talking about. What I was trying to allude to was a lot of these guys in the uh, late nineties and throughout the two thousands, a lot of these closers, these relief pitchers have one job and one job to do get in the ninth inning and get those three outs. Well, baseball is analytically speaking in terms of baseball, how we now see it, the most important inning is not the ninth inning. It's, it's those six, seventh and eighth innings with runners on base where these analytics guys are yelling at these managers. Hey, Idiot, come get your best pitcher out there and, 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 and prevent these runs from happening. But until these guys, these pitchers are incentivized to be handsomely rewarded for stopping anybody from running, from scoring runs in the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning, we're, it's going to be a slow progression from being an exclusive ninth inning guy to just being a person that you can count on no matter what point of the game you're in. Because if you lose a lead in the sixth or seventh inning, that ninth inning, guys, is is, is pointless. Ask ask Zach Britton and the Baltimore Orioles about that. Buck Showalter about that. You know, ask Ubaldo Jimenez about that. How important it is to just bring in your best relief pitcher, no matter what situation you're in. But uh, that, that's all I could say is that uh, I mean that he, as he got older, being used a lot throughout his career and going through all those arm injuries, did affect him negatively but he always found a way to be effective and as he's only pitching one inning and only getting those three outs in low leverage situations i can see how he could continue to be an effective closer for a long time either that or he probably cheated but you know i never heard him cheat before and kurt Schilling's a piece of shit human being so there's a difference there all right well, so man, with you, the, go ahead. Pedro, well, real quick real quick uh, um you know you said you said it billy wagner you can get officially 50 because he's throwing one inning. He's coming in and he's throwing as hard as he can for one inning. Yeah. And then you got Kurt Schilling after the age of 34. The guy had four seasons after the age of 34 of over 200 innings, which back in the 70s is nothing. But in the 2000s, that's a big deal. And you're telling me after 34 years of age, you're throwing 260 innings at the age of 35? That's kind no, of a that's, question mark. That's a big that's a bigger difference than a guy who's 35 throwing 70 innings in 2020. And you could tell me that's a huge, huge difference. You could tell me that Kurt Schilling, well, as these guys get older, they learn how to pitch and not throw. But Kurt Schilling's calling card was still that he could throw hard. I mean, him and Randy Johnson were a, a dynamic duo, not because Kurt Schilling was being Greg Maddox about things. No, it's because he was still throwing bullets out there. So I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell. The technology wasn't there to really uh, publicly available for everybody to really see a Kurt Schilling game and see how fast he was gliding up the radar gun. Uh, so we can't really compare it. But so all I got is this narrative base that he was out there throwing bullets still. He wasn't dancing around and painting corners. I mean, he could, but let's face it, the Diamondbacks don't win that World Series if Kurt Schilling is just throwing changeups. And nothing but changeups, but maybe I'm misremembering things. I don't know, but you do bring up a good, very good point about yeah, we we're going to suspect of everybody to be a PD user uh, who was still productive after the age of 34, 35 years old. So knowing what we know about the human body, I think it's a it's a question. It, 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 these are uh, logical questions to ask. So with all that being said, I have some c- cells that are hidden. If I could just open them up a little bit, because I wanted to share this with you guys. Uh, well, I thought I could share with you guys. Let me see here. Let's try opening it up. And there it is. All right. So we have, well, how many? Five guys, right? 
five guys who made 100% of the ballot. So that means guys like Joe Nathan, Andrew Jones missed the cut. But Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, Todd Helton, Jeff Kent, Bobby Abreu, five players that made our ballots into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and Dan, this goes to you. Go ahead and tell us how many people did the people at Baseball Life voted in this year for the Baseball Life Hall of Fame? Let me count here. I see zero. Ah, okay. Well, I was going <laughs> to Absolutely ask. zero. And this is, you know, I'm sure people were probably getting annoyed from all the posts we were having on there to vote. But, I mean, 60, 61 folks voted. That's not – you got 8,000 people. If you, get, if you can get 100 folks to vote, I think this probably – the layers look a little bit different. But, uh, I mean, the closest was Ortiz at 67%. So he was three, four votes off. You know, Billy Wagner, 64%. Andrew Jones, 64%. Mm. So we really didn't have anybody that close when we look at the small sample size of folks that voted. Uh, Ortiz got 41 votes. That's the most. And I think I have to do the math. But 75% of 61 is what, uh, 46 votes. So he missed it by about five votes. Let me ask you something, Dan. Uh, so I want to do, you know, since I am an admin at the Baseball Life Facebook group, and this is my podcast along with Austin. I, I'm ready to make an executive decision, but I want to I want to hear it from you. Should we go ahead and just get these five guys by order of executive uh, decree here? Get these five guys automatically into the Baseball Life Hall of Fame? Or did you want to have a runoff vote for the next week and give these guys one more time, one more opportunity? You mean the five? You're talking the, about the five that got 100% of our three ballots? Yeah. Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, yeah. Todd Helton, Jeff Kent, Bobby Abreu. How do you want to do this? You want to just automatically put them in, or did you want to have like some sort of runoff election with a baseball life Facebook group? To have a runoff. All right. I'm assuming you're going to set that up. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it the same. Ah, let's make it for one week. You guys have one week, one week to either vote for Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, Todd Helton, Jeff Kent, Bobby Abreu. Uh, I guess we'll go with the same rules. You can vote for as many people as you want. Um, and the guy who, what, 75% of the ballot, right? Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, I'll make it so that you can vote for, I mean, if you want to vote for all five, vote for all five. I'm not sure that would accomplish much, but if you want to vote for all five, go right ahead. Or should we, or should we narrow it down? Um, no, let's just, uh, no, let's, let's leave it all five. I agree. Yeah, so I, all I like all five better because then you'll have everybody voting for one person when they all deserve to be in there. I think. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. So we'll I'm put all these all five, five on a ballot. And I'll post that link this afternoon and hopefully we can get, uh, let's see if we can get to a hundred. Let's we at least get to a hundred folks to vote on at least these five guys. All right. And then lastly, can, how is the real base, uh, baseball hall of fame looking like who, who, who's looking like they're going to get uh, elected as of today right now. Can you, are you able to share that with us today? I or can Austin, you might want to grab a chair and strap yourself in, buddy, because this is going to be hurtful for you. Yeah, I've, I've uh, seen it already. I know. <laughs> so, uh, I haven't. So I'm as ready. Of this, as, of, yeah, as of yesterday, public ballots, they, they made uh, public about 45%. Ortiz at 83.5. Barry Bonds at 77.3. And Clemens at 76.1. Uh, Schilling has dropped dramatically. He's down to less than 61%. He was, what, 70 he was right there. He was at 72 last year, so he's dropped considerably. Scott Rowland, 69.9. He's at 70%. So, and I think Jonathan said it either on the last podcast or mentioned in the group that, you know, as we get to the end of voting, we could very, like any other election, right? We could very well see Scott Rowland's numbers go up to get to 75, and we could see the others drop. Mm -hmm. 83.5% for Ortiz at 45, so in essence, almost half the votes in 
and he's at 83 already. That's pretty strong. Um, uh, so and- right now, if they ended today, you're looking at Ortiz, Bonds, and Clemens getting in. Wow. Uh, and I, I got to assume that this is Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Sammy Sosa's last year on the ballot. Is that correct? This is their 10th ballot? I believe so. Yeah. Because I was willing yeah, to Sosa's vote. Sosa's down at 25. I mean, some of these guys aren't even. Yeah. And we'll go to the other end. There were three guys that did not get a vote. Who was, who was it? Jake Peavy, <laughs> Carl Crawford, and Prince Fielder did not yeah, get a vote. That makes sense. That makes sense. And what, you need 5% to stay on the ballot? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. So the guys that right now that they project to drop off, Lincecum, Hudson, Nathan, Hunter, Howard, Prasinski, Morneau, Teixeira, Papelbon, Peavy, Fielder, and Crawford, and Burley's at 5.1, so Ouch. he's getting close. Yeah, yeah. People love, he's a likable guy, Mark Burley is, but yeah, he. Uh, even me, I only voted because I never heard of him uh, uh, be associated with any PED use, and I'm on my high horse about it this year. I was ready to vote for Kurt Schilling this year if I if I had a vote. But, uh, you know, he's an asshole. But don't worry, Baseball <laughs> Life first. He is in the Baseball Life Hall of Fame because that's what you guys wanted last year. So he's yep. already in there. Uh, so, yeah, let's get at that runoff vote and see who if uh, if we can get some uh, a natural vote in for these Baseball Life, for, the, for our Baseball Life Hall of Fame. And, Players uh, on their 10th year, 10th and final year on the ballot. Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Sammy Sosa. Mm. Jeff That's, Kent is on his ninth year. Yeah. Gary Sheffield. Kent's at only 31%. He's done for, but uh, Bonds and Clemens might uh, might have a kick saving of beauty oh. at the end here. <laughs> well, it's always interesting uh, to have these discussions. Uh, and that's all I have for the rundown. I have nothing else. Uh, we covered everything that we needed to cover. We covered three spreadsheets and we covered our votes. We covered the, the baseball writers' votes. And all the stipulation as to what's going to happen if these guys don't get elected. It looks like Kurt Schilling might be looking. Unless some miracle happens uh, in the next couple of days, uh, they will be making announcements on MLB Network on Tuesday. I look forward to that. I'll probably have a thread going uh, for all of us to talk about it. Um, Let's uh, have our final words here. Austin, let's start with you. Any final say on the National Baseball Hall of Fame election this year? Uh, Really quick. So I did work that math for for Prince Fielder. Uh, Prince Prince Fielder's uh, home run rate, he hit uh, he hit .19 homers per game. Um, you know, when you take all of his homers and you take all of his games and you divide it by all of his games, his rate is .19 homers per game. If you multiply that out to how many uh, games Adam Dunn played, which is 2001, yeah. he would have had 396 homers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, that that's just who knows if he would have exactly played and that changes, but just at that consistent rate, he would have had 396 homers. Um, Other than that, I mean, people are going to vote the way they're going to vote, but I'm going to say this, if Ortiz bonds and Clemens get in, then a rod, Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, all those guys should get in there too. You can't, you can't be inconsistent. You can't, you know, glorify David Ortiz because he's a like, he's a likable guy. And then only, you know, half of those voters vote for um, a rod because a rod's not as likable of a person as David Ortiz is. You can't do that. Right. You know, if you're going to vote for one, you got to vote for them all. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, if you're, it doesn't matter what side of the PED discussion you're on, be consistent about it. Yeah. That's all we ask. 
Uh, what about you, Dan? Final words on your behalf here. I, uh, I guess I would just say Scott Rowan, Billy Wagner. Those, those are the two to me that baffle me. How they're not, not just in, but closer. I mean, it looks like Roland's going to be pretty close, if not in. So maybe the next couple of years. But both of those guys, um, you know, I heard somebody a long, quite a long time ago state probably the first qualification for the Hall of Fame is were you the best at your position when you played? Roland and Wagner can say yes. Now, closer, it's hard to say because there's a lot of good closers, but he was among the best. Oh, yeah. So it does baffle me a little bit. And I'll just – I see Melvin put his uh, note in here, and I know that, that Felipe mentioned it, uh, his greatest of all time series. I think tomorrow, next couple of days, is going to be right field. I'm looking forward to that because that's going to be a bloodbath, I think. That's going to be – uh, that's going to be – that's going to be entertaining, man, because well, there's – <laughs> well, Melvin's not going to be able to help himself. He's going to put Roberto Clemente because he's Puerto Rican. They're both Puerto Rican. So he's, he's going to put Roberto Clemente in right field. And that, like you said, that's going to bring up a bloodbath. Vince already uh, fired some shots uh, as he's advocating for Babe Ruth. I think you said Hank Aaron. I'm going to say Sammy Sosa just to be a uh, contrarian. <laughs> right? Calhoun, just because he looks like me. Oh, yeah. He definitely has to pick I'm, I'm going for Jason Hayward. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that one. You Jason know, Hayward. Speech and you know, speech and all. Jason Hayward. Uh, yeah, that, that's um, remember that he was at one point in the number one prospect in all of baseball, like a can't miss prospect, five tool player, and then he just kind of fell off. I don't know. They're blaming Milton, it on Theo Milton Epstein. Bradley. Milton Bradley. Milton wow. Bradley. The the toy manufacturer. The toy manufacturer. The... Right. That always that always screwed with me. I was like, "You're the name of a toy company. You need to change that." I I used to love that duo, uh, the outfield duo uh, with the Cleveland uh, Guardians, uh, Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. No, there, there's no such thing as Parker Brothers. There was Coco Crisp. <laughs> there, there was Coco Crisp. Uh, that's Coco for Crisp. sure. Michael Brantley. They all came up at the Coco same. Crisp. Love oh, Coco Chris. Michael Brantley, they all came up. Uh, Jody Garrett, Grady Sizemore. Cleveland had some outfielders back in the day. All right, well, fun as always. Again, uh, my goal is to uh, have this be an annual thing where we take a break from uh, the scouting things that we do around these parts and we'll take a look back at baseball history from time to time. And again, we did this last year. Uh, and Melvin mentioned it, that, that, that he's also been a part of these talks. I just can't remember which talks uh they were because uh, I, I guess we've done numerous hall of fame shows but yeah this is supposed to be a, a follow-up to last year's hall of fame show kind of a piggyback i was hoping that this would be a quick episode but i guess uh not no we are we are way up there on time so for dan for austin uh check out our other podcast as well i before i forget um i am felipe you're this was the total basis podcast have a good one everybody see you later yes